from Cape Town. This is the Voice of the Cape, 91.3 FM. Welcome back to The Burning Issue with myself, Yazid Kamaldin. If you have just joined the show, we have been discussing something that has been bothering gender-based violence uh, cases, or rather something that has been a... um, a bother for people who are trying to help others, you know. So here's the thing. Um, the police, right, they usually have to investigate a sexual um, case, whether it's rape or murder and rape, you know. Um, and that is exactly what they've done in the case of Jessie S. Now, she was a young University of the Western Cape student, um, and she was raped and murdered by a man who was arrested this month now here's the here's the problem the problem is that this man was out in parole and um he was arrested only because he had gone on to rape another girl a 15 year old girl in hanover park and people are asking questions people are saying you know what the south african justice system has failed another young woman and they are saying that the forensic departments, you know, who were tasked with processing the evidence related to the S case, have been inefficient, that they have not done their job. If they had done their job and gotten the forensic evidence, then another rape could potentially have been avoided. Now, we are untackling the topic tonight, and um, we have already spoken to Javu. We have already spoken to Javu, and he was saying, you know, that there definitely needs to be, uh, there's a whole backlog of these forensic cases that need to be addressed. And he was also talking to us about how the government, you know, should, um, there should be more political will and funding to ensure that more people are, um, that, 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 that there can be justice for more people. So, um, we also now are in a period of um, what is annually known as the 16 Days of Activism campaign. And there will be a lot of this kind of campaigning, and uh, rather sloganeering rather, over the next few days. But tonight we're talking about reality. And the reality is that the police investigations, there's a, such a big backlog, you know, that so many young or families of so many victims are waiting for justice. We are now going to welcome to the show Vanessa Lynch, and she is the DNA Project founder. Um, and she's also deputy chair of the Forensic DNA Oversight Board, and this board ensures the implementation of the DNA Act and sees to the management of the DNA database in South Africa. Vanessa, good evening. Welcome to Burning Issue. Thank you. Thank you for having me on your show, Yazid. It's wonderful that, that you can join us. Vanessa, um, for those of us, for our listeners who do not know, can you please tell us what is the DNA Project? The DNA Project is an NGO that I started in 2004. Um, my dad was murdered in a household um, robbery. And none of the DNA evidence that was left behind at that particular crime scene was connected um, by either the police or by the forensic pathologist. And even the security guards and family members who came to the crime scene and walked all over the crime scene cleaned it up. 
So through a number of uh, reasons, no evidence was collected and subsequently we, we never found the perpetrators. And this led me to look at the situation in South Africa, specifically with violent crimes where so much biological or DNA evidence is left in biological crimes and that we weren't really using it to the extent that the rest of the world were using it. And to do this, we needed legislation to empower us to be able to build up a DNA database to be able to match offenders to their crimes. Okay, and so what are some of the outcomes that, that, that have been happening in terms of the DNA project so far? Well, between 2004 and 2013, I lobbied government to pass legislation, uh, which was finally um, adopted in 2013 and signed into law and made operational in 2015. And this essentially means that all arrestees and convicted offenders now have to submit a DNA sample um, to the police, and this is analysed at the Forensic Science Laboratory. And that resultant DNA profile is entered onto a DNA database, much the same as a fingerprint would be. And what they do is that they compare those DNA profiles from biological evidence that is collected at crime scenes. So what it does, it enables the police to link cases that are seemingly not related and also to link one offender to a number of different offences that that person may have committed. It's also a very objective and uh, reliable form of evidence because DNA doesn't lie. And the DNA Act empowers the police to be able to collect evidence and enables them to conduct these comparative searches on the forensic DNA database. So essentially, that was one of the big projects of the DNA, well, the the big objectives of the DNA project, which was successful. And now my position on the Oversight Board, which is a quasi-government board, is, is to oversee the implementation of the provisions of the Act, because obviously there are a lot of things that have to take place in order for that simple process to take place. Um, and, and also we spoke about crime scene awareness. You know, a lot of people aren't aware that, you know, a, a crime scene, even a body is a crime scene, and that our interference with a crime scene potentially confuses the investigation or takes away very important evidence that could lead the police to the perpetrator. So crime scene awareness, not only from, you know, the general public um, as well as police officers, but, but also officers of the court and magistrates, prosecutors, public defenders, They all need to understand the power of DNA and and how important it is to preserve that form of evidence to positively link it to an unknown perpetrator. Okay, well, this is very important because when we are looking at um, the case, the recent case of Jesse Hess, right, we have a situation where somebody was out on parole, police were meant to be doing the investigations, which would have included forensic DNA testing, right? And here this person was arrested and suddenly he was linked, I mean, he was arrested for another rape of a 15-year-old, right? Uh, I mean... This speaks of a systematic issue here. This speaks of, I mean, as Java had said before, I mean, he was, he's from the, um, the commission, let me just get it right, the gender commission. And, um, you know, you were talking about the systematic um, failures. Um, can you share any insights on that? I mean, what's happening with when it comes to forensics and investigations and so on? Yes, I think that, unfortunately, what happens is that you have, a number of stakeholders that are involved in delivering the outcomes. And it's, it's where those stakeholders aren't working together um, that the system fails. So, for instance, you've got good legislation that 
ultimately empowers the police to enter, for instance, that arrestee's DNA profile on the database. And if they were collecting DNA evidence from different crime scenes, such as rapes, they would immediately be able to identify that perpetrator to not only one, but maybe several rapes. And they would never have left somebody like that out on parole. If you are not collecting the DNA evidence because you don't have rape kits, because there's been a shortage of rape kits, because the procurement and the supply chain management have delayed the award of the tender to supply the police stations with rape kits, then you're not collecting evidence from the rape survivors. If you are not providing the forensic science laboratory with the necessary maintenance contracts and the chemistry to analyze those samples, then you are not able to process those samples fast enough to be able to enter that profile onto the database to immediately identify that person as a serial offender. So these are challenges that have more recently come to light um, because initially when the passing of the DNA with uh, the promulgation of the DNA Act, the, the funding and the resources available were actually very good. And there was an exponential growth of that database. And there were a, a really large number of criminals being um, linked to their crimes. But more recently, you know, the rape kits shortage and the, the decrease in the budget allocated to the forensic science laboratory, the fact that we no longer can can sample convicted offenders because our police minister now wants a population database, which is in itself a, a, an unattainable goal. Um, they, they all interrupt the process that we should be enabling in order to identify these perpetrators. And what people don't understand is that the earlier that you can identify a perpetrator, the better, because you're saving future lives. If you don't take that person off the street, then they are going to go back and they are going to reoffend, and you are allowing them the opportunity to violate yet another vulnerable life. So I don't know what the answer is other than that we have to keep putting pressure on the ministry, on the police, to utilize this amazing forensic technology that's available to them, because it really does work, and we really can make a difference to people's lives if we... You know, if, if we make demands to say this should be funded, this should be working, we shouldn't have these issues at this late stage. Uh, I mean, that it just kind of like baffles the mind as to why, because, you know, on this show, we definitely have spoken endlessly with um, sort of like gender based uh, or rather um, gender activists and so on and we've talked so much about the systematic failures we've talked about the criminal justice justice system i don't think we've never actually zoned in on this aspect the dna testing and forensic investigations you know so it's really good to understand that this is actually part i mean it's good for us to understand how our country works obviously and then to understand that this yeah. is one of the things that could be delaying these court cases well, it, it can. You know, the, the thing is that not even delaying a court case, but if, if somebody has been arrested and they can quickly send the information back that that person has been positively linked to that particular offence or is positively linked to a number of offences, then you are detaining that person probably with good cause. By the same token, if it's not, if it excludes that person, then you can also release those detainees who are not being held with good cause. But it does, as you say, rely on various stakeholders to participate. And unfortunately, in the South African government specifically, the departments are very segmented and they don't necessarily work together. So, you know, the, the, the criminal justice 
system is, is run by the Department of, you know, the Constitutional and, and, and Justice Department, for instance, and SAPS, you know, runs the Forensic Science Laboratory, the Biology Lab. But within SAPS, you've got different departments working separately, but not necessarily together. So often what happens is that you, you've got different people trying to do different jobs and they're not, they're not necessarily dovetailing. And this is where, from the Oversight Board's perspective, we often find that the, 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 the fact that they're not necessarily cohesive results in these unprecedented delays and results in system failures. And I'm not quite sure how one can put a holistic sort of approach to it other than for for the departments to recognise that there are systems that need to work together and and actually to cooperate more with each other, um, you know when when a detective gets a report from the forensic science laboratory to say that this particular person of interest has been linked to ten different cases, those detectives should be out there trying to find who that person is because you've got a serious serial offender on your on your you know on your hands. Yeah. Um, you know, if you don't follow up these investigative leads, then you are as guilty as as the next person for for letting that perpetrator continue unabated. Yeah, I so mean, it does mm-hmm. require that. Mm. Yeah, I, I would like to reflect a bit more on your personal case as well, if you don't mind. I mean, no, I mean, we we want to understand also about. We rather want to understand the journey of a family, you know, who, who's waiting for this kind of evidence. And and here we have, you know, a whole government saying, you know what, we don't have capacity to do all of this because we have so many cases that we still need to look at. And, and you are just the next one in line. I mean, what does that do to a family when you have to wait for this evidence and you and you know that, you know, it's possible to get the the, the results, but things just aren't working out? I think in the case of a murder, the the difficulty is you know that that nothing is going to bring that person back. And in many ways, I had to come to terms with that. And somebody once said to me, don't carry your file and your fury around with you for the rest of your life. And that was good advice, which is why I, I went into something bigger and I tried to make a difference to a larger sort of group of people. I I wanted to make a difference in South Africa because I didn't want other families to go through what we go through. However, when um, you think about the fact that most of these perpetrators are serial offenders, what what I think is difficult, and I don't think people think about it at the time because you're so wrapped up in your own grief. And and, and I say wrapped up, you're just just dealing on a day-to-day basis with this, this devastation. But actually what's happening outside of that is those very same people are doing it to another family. And I think there's, there's two aspects to it. The first is that, sure, justice needs to be done for that family. Um, I don't like the word closure because nothing will bring my father back. The, the police haven't yet found my father's perpetrators, but even if they had, that's not going to bring closure. My father has been taken from us violently and nothing, you, you learn to live with that, but nothing's going to close that wound. It's just something that you learn to live with. And I think victims of crime and people who've been violated probably feel much the same way, is that you might feel a sense of justice, but it, it doesn't take away the pain and, and, and what you've gone through. But on the other side of it is that swift justice needs to be taken in order to ensure that that doesn't continue to happen to other people. And that's what that is something that I find very difficult to live with, that on a day-to-day basis, I continue to see people being violated and, and 
you know, becoming victims of crime. And I feel that we can do more to help them. And, and it's frustrating when you have a methodology like a DNA database and you have good legislation and you have everything in place and you don't have government's commitment to fully enforce it. That results in lives being lost. And it's just even one life is one life too many. So that, from a personal perspective, that's how I feel, is that there are two aspects of it. Yeah. Some people might only feel it personally, but, but I felt it both personally and on a much greater scale. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the fact is that justice kind of is something that for some families, I mean, I totally hear you when you say that closure is not the right word for you. But, you know, there are some people who feel that justice will help them heal. And the longer the criminal justice system, you know, delays that, it's almost like the longer they take to heal because it's like it's always there, you know, like, I mean somebody did something and there's no conclusion there's no finality um so yeah i mean i'm just thinking aloud you know just thinking aloud yes, how, i agree with you mm-hmm, i think that mm-hmm. as i say everyone handles it differently and i think the realization when the police said to me we're closing this case because we simply have no evidence is that that's it you know i think in other cases where people go through long protracted court cases or where um possibly you know they have a suspect or the person's been released and so it goes on and, and they're testifying i think every time you go you're faced with that it, it just opens those wounds again and, and you just can never really move on from it absolutely mm-hmm. um and i agree with you i think that it's 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 it doesn't it doesn't alleviate the situation at all and I think it's very difficult. But um, you know, everyone deals with grief different, differently and I certainly think in in South Africa that we, we are we're far too accustomed to to crime. We're far too easily um pacified by oh I'm so sorry but and we just carry on and, and we we don't really get upset enough. Um, You know, it's now 2019. My father was killed in 2004. And and I speak about it, you know, as if everything's okay. But but I can tell you that every day I do not think it's okay. I mean, I would rather be screaming and shouting on your show and to say, this is just not okay. And when are we going to stand together and say more than just outside parliament, this is not okay? Because we, we just need to continue to put pressure on our government to say that we can do more. They can do more. They can allocate more funding towards the criminal justice system, towards the forensic DNA laboratories that have been proven worldwide to work in actually, you know, uh, identifying perpetrators. So I, I hope that we keep talking about it, but actually taking action too. And mm-hmm. um, yeah, have you linked up with Javo, by the way? Because he was telling us that they, no. <laughs> the the um, the Commission for Gender Equality, which is a chapter nine institution established by yes. our constitution, of course. I mean, you were saying that they've subpoenaed the various police commissioners, and they want answers. They want to know why and when the forensic investigations are going to be dealt with, and why it's taking so long. Rather, I mean, well, I mean, if you think about it, the, the forensic science services currently that I'm talking about the forensic science services, which is quite a large division, it, it encompasses um, uh, fingerprints, DNA, question documents. There are about six different departments. The, the previous forensic divisional commissioner was uh, suspended, but he's still on the payroll. Yeah. They then appointed a Guys, new divisional commissioner, and yeah. he was 
suspended. So currently, as we speak, we have two suspended divisional commissioners on the SAP's payroll. Don't on make very me angry. High level salaries. Don't make me and angry. And we don't have somebody to replace them. So we have no leadership. Now, surely if you're talking about forensic services, where you have a crisis in leadership and you have a lot of money that could be well spent on some of the services that are really required in order to, to, to help fight crime. Why is nothing, why are those cases, they've been going on for years, why, why do we have that in place? Yeah. That's a question that should be asked when they, when they go before an inquiry. Exactly, and why isn't that money going to paying another salary for someone who can actually do the work? Wow. Yeah, we do. Wow. We need leadership. We need leadership in the police, and we need good ethical leaders to 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 feel as passionately about the crime as as citizens. You know, I always say the majority of South Africans are good people. They want to do good. They are they are good citizens, and the minority of the population are criminals. And we are being held to ransom by a minority of people in this country. Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm so, so glad that we are talking about this tonight because this helps us to understand really why. For ex- we, we always ask why, why, why. It's good that mm-hmm. we get people who are watching these, uh, you know, spaces closely to come on the show. Yourself, of course, in Java. And we have more guests coming on. In fact, we have the MEC. We're yep. going to try to get the MEC for community safety here in the Western yes. Cape, Albert Fritz online as well. Um, you know, it's just good for us to begin to understand how things work. That's great. I think we can we can only have um, power through knowledge, and if we all stand together and we and, and we all try and do as much as we can, um, then we can only be going in the right direction. Fantastic, Vanessa. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank and, you. And she's the founder of the DNA Project. And yeah, we just want to wish you all the best and thank you for your time. Thank you very much for having me on the show. All the best to you. <laughs>